it's time to expand online. Hi, I'm Jamie Sletsky, and this is the podcast where we break down the tech and strategies that successful hands-on entrepreneurs just like you use to translate their services into online products. There is no fluff. There is no overwhelm. There is no shame. Let's get to it. It's time for you to expand online. Welcome to the Expand Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Slutsky, and this is episode number 228. This is a much longer than usual podcast episode because it is an amazing conversation that is being aired on three podcasts all this week. There is Ben Capolo from All Keyed Up and Heidi K. Begay from Flute 360, as well as myself, Jamie Slutsky from the Expand Online podcast. We came together to talk about podcasting as it pertains to growing an online music business. I would love your feedback. So please click on the link call with Jamie in the show notes to connect with me and let me know if you want me to bring more conversations like this to the podcast or if there's something that you know would be beneficial to you and your online growth for your music studio. Be sure to let me know because that's the way I can create the best content for you. Now sit back, have a listen and get immersed into the idea of hosting your own podcast podcast. Oh, and if you do decide to do so, please let me know. I would love to feature your podcast release here on the Expand Online podcast. Okay, let's get to it. Hi, I'm here with Heidi Begay and Jamie Slutsky. Hey, Ben. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. So the way that this conversation came about is that Heidi and Jamie and I had a conversation at the Expand Online conference that Jamie hosted, and it was about podcasting and music teacher podcasts and how to start your own podcast. Jamie, tell us a little bit about the conference and how that came about and how that conversation was. Yeah, absolutely. So the podcast, you know, conversation on the summit was something that I have been dying to do for three years. This was the third year of the summit. And I finally found two perfect candidates for uh, talking about podcasting. Ben, who started his podcast in the pandemic, during the pandemic as um, a new outlet, and Heidi, who's been podcasting for a really long time. And I found that it was going to be a really fun way for us to talk talk about podcasts as it pertains to music education, because that's what I do. I help music educators expand their businesses online with new tools, one-to-many programming, all sorts of things like that. And with you, Ben, and you, Heidi, having instrument-specific podcasts, it was a really interesting Uh, conversation that we were able to come together and discuss uh, bits and pieces of the journey of having that type of podcast. Well, thank you for having us because that conversation was a blast. I learned so much from Jamie and from Ben and just the topics and the flow of the conversation just was beautiful. And I think, and I hope your summit attendees received a lot of value from that discussion. 
the feedback that I've gotten has been great. And I'm sure that both of you have had increases in your podcast listenership from it. So yeah, I figure I'm going to let one of you guys ask some questions because I was the interviewer last mm -hmm. time around. So I'm going to kind of take a back seat here yeah. and let you, uh, you run the show. Yeah. So part of what we had talked about for this episode was talking to potential listeners who might be interested in starting their own podcast or at least want to know more about podcasts. And we would all three of us talk about our experiences with starting the podcast, growing a podcast, and talk about music teacher podcasts on all fronts, from the nitty gritty, from the tech to building an audience, from the concept. So I thought maybe it would be helpful to talk from the outset about some of the skepticism that some of our listeners or that some other music teachers might experience over starting a podcast. And so if I could recreate kind of the arguments that I've heard before, it's that there are already so many podcasts out there. There are other people who are doing it well. Why do we need yet another podcast? And I enjoyed in our conversation that we had at the Expand Online conference about perhaps challenging that thinking a little bit. So does one of you have a thought on why you think now is a great time to start a podcast and why the large amount of podcasts out there isn't a obstacle to starting a podcast, but could in fact, for some of us, and I know for me, be a source of inspiration to starting our own podcast? Yeah. So to lay out a foundation, because I know that this is a crossover podcast episode going into Ben's world and Jamie's world. My name is Heidi, and I am the creator and host of the Flute to 360 podcast and the Pivoting Musician podcast. So I have two. <laughs> <laughs> and at times I feel a little cray cray, but that's okay. I absolutely love it. So, you know, Ben poses a really good question. Why should you, the listener, maybe consider starting your own podcast? And I truly believe that your voice matters. There could be millions of podcasts out there, sure. But if you look within the instrumental world, the performing world, the music educator world, there's not a lot of podcasts out there within our musicians' niche, within our community. And, you know, I said this statistic through Jamie's conversation through the Expand Online Summit, and I will say it again until I turn blue in the face. How many flutists are out there in the world? Hundreds of thousands. How many flute-based podcasts are out there? Five. And I think maybe six. So maybe I'm not representing that number correctly. Six. Six out of 100,000 plus flutists. Why are there not flute-based podcasts out in the world being spoken in Swahili, Spanish, French? Mandarin. <laughs> the list could go on and on and on. And I have an international bug itch in my soul. And I love to travel. I love to see different cultures and countries and meet new people. And I have lived in Bulgaria, Romania, Greece. And it makes you wonder, like, why is there not a Greek flute podcast out there? How cool, because People from Eastern Europe or China or Africa have such a unique, different perspective than somebody from the States. And that's why I think all three of us are in this same space and we can agree upon the statement that, yes, we have a podcast and we want more of you to come into our space or this podcasting space, not just our space, but the podcasting mm -hmm. space, because we want to hear your voice. So it goes back to my original bullet point answer, your voice matters. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think that for me, one of the reasons why I say podcasting is such a great vehicle is because you can do whatever you want with it, just like you can with a course, just like you can with a website, just like you can with all of the new technology that is available. And I say new in quotation marks because it's been around for a little while. It's been around long enough that a lot of the kinks have been worked out of it and it's faster and easier than ever to create a podcast. I know that a lot of people are really intimidated by the episodic podcast model, which is a new episode comes out on a regular schedule every single week or every other week or once a month or whatever, but it's never ending. It's episodic. It's always going on. I think that the trend right now is to go season-based podcasts. So you may end up having a season of eight episodes and you then have a break. And that is, I think, one of the things that makes getting into the podcasting space that much easier because you don't have to commit to forever. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's what makes podcasting exciting is it's absolutely whatever you want it to be. There's no rules. There are certain trends, as you said, some podcasts do seasons, some do every week, some every other week, some when they feel like it, but it's whatever you want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of times when people are resistant to starting podcasts, the only idea in their head are either don't do one or do a podcast where it's a new episode every week. And there are plenty of options. Yeah. So let's turn the question, your question, Ben, back to mm -hmm. you. Why do you think now is the time to start a podcast? For me, I think what makes our field the strongest is when we learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And so to me, how I get better at piano teaching is hearing other people's perspectives. And like Heidi was saying, there's only five flute teaching podcasts. I think there's a similar number for piano. I think it's, as far as I'm aware, something like seven or eight, I'd have to count. But every day when I wake up and I'm driving to work, I always look through all of the piano teacher podcasts and pick an episode that interests me. And I think that's how I get better at piano teaching. And I think that the more the merrier. I think the more perspectives, the better. I mean, if we were talking about something besides podcasting that we would use for professional development, let's say books or something, we would never say, oh, there's already five books on piano teaching, enough <laughs> already. We want a ton of books to choose from. And so I would say the same thing for piano teaching and I assume flute teaching. I think our field is strongest when everyone's voice is out there and you have a massive slate to choose from and you listen to a bunch and you figure out what works well for you. I love that book analogy. That is so true. We don't go to the bookstore and say, oh, another thriller or, oh, another romance. Right. I and mean, that has nothing to do with the nature of a book versus the nature of a podcast. It's just that podcasts are newer. Right. I love that. Yeah. You also made me think that there's something about a podcast that's living and breathing that is not the same as a book. A book, once it's written and it's published, it's out there. Yes, you can have revisions. You can have a new version. You can have other things like that. But with a podcast, if I wanted to add something to episode 82, I could go and add a little bit to episode 82 and episode 82 would suddenly be updated for everyone. And that's just not the way it is for somebody who has a physical book. So we're in a position where our 
thoughts, our voices, our conversation that we're bringing to the podcast space can ever evolve, even in the back sense. Hmm. So I have a question now for Jamie and for Ben, and maybe later I can answer my own question. (laughs) But since you've started your own podcast show, what opportunities have unfolded for you and for your career? Oh, tons. I mean, I've, well, I would answer that in two ways. I think there's the immediately tangible, obvious things that have happened. And then there's the more subtle things. I mean, I would say on a more subtle level, I've just gotten so much better as a piano teacher, which was in my case, the reason for doing it in the first place. And ultimately to me, what it's all about. I mean, my studio has grown so much since I started the podcast. I now have a long waiting list and I when I started, I was desperate for more students. So I think the most important thing is just I've gotten better. Um, But as far as professional opportunities, I mean, networking wise, I'm connected with so many more people than I used to. And there's a whole range of advantages about having people in your network. I'm speaking at, uh, there was Expand Online Conference. I'm also speaking at the Creative Teaching Conference um, coming up in July, writing a guest blog for Colorful Keys. I mean, all sorts of things that are, you know, making me feel a little bit more like I'm really part of the piano teaching world, as opposed to just being a piano teacher, teaching just my students. I like to feel part of the industry. And I think that podcasting is a fantastic way to do that. What about you, Jamie? Oh, I love that answer, Ben. That just inspires me so much because my podcast, unlike yours, is really a business podcast for music teachers. I mean, it's that is really what the, what the goal of it is. And so my podcast has provided me the opportunity to dig into teaching modalities. It's helped me learn more about different instruments. As you guys both know, and my audience knows, but maybe your audiences don't know, I am not a music teacher. I haven't played a musical instrument in over 30 years. Um, I'm dating myself here, obviously, but that doesn't matter. And that's the thing that I think is really cool also is that just because I have chosen to work with music teachers doesn't mean that I am less than or superior than or anything else. Like there's no comparison between me and my audience or, you know, or, you know, but from my perspective or from their perspective on a musical front. And I feel like one of the biggest things that I've gotten out of the podcast is by showing how unique we can all be, how unique and how much better the industry is, the music education space is, because we allow other voices in. And I think that one of the things that when I first started working with music teachers that I didn't know was how everything was so built in habit. Everything was the solo private lesson and was the holy grail. It was the only thing. And here I am, this, you know, techie coming in saying, no, you don't have to do private lessons if you don't want to. You can do this, you can do that. And just like watching the evolution and watching the maturity and opportunity that people are actually grabbing onto now, just like you guys. I mean, you guys have both created podcasts on the, on, with music in mind, with music education in mind and, you know, and appreciation and everything else that just showcase how powerful it can be for all of us. And I listen to far more music podcasts now that I have a podcast that attracts music teachers than I ever did before. And I think I am better for it from a spiritual level because I've tapped into 
music as a spiritual vehicle like I had never done before. So thank you. I have to say thank you to everybody who creates these amazing music podcasts. Heidi, what about you? How has uh, your podcast helped you grow in, in the business? Yeah. First and foremost, I loved both of your answers so much. The listeners cannot see this, but I'm over here like jumping up and down and being so giddy and like clapping, air clapping, not to disturb the audio, but yes, yes, yes to the umpteenth degree. And I think we're all saying the same thing. It's providing us opportunities, new opportunities. And for myself, I will second that because my career looks completely, I don't think I can underline that word enough. My career looks completely different because of my podcast. It literally was, you know, I believe since we're talking about spiritual things, um, not to ruffle any feathers, but I really feel like my podcast was this divine intervention because I got that doctorate. I was under this like, you know, idea like, oh, you need to get that traditional job by applying through your traditional means, applying and putting your CV out there. And it was not happening for me. (laughs) It just was not because the jobs are starting to decline and those opportunities are starting to fade away. And then finally, after hundreds of applications, I was given a job in China and because of COVID, bye-bye job. (laughs) So what do you do? So for two years, I've been, I was nurturing this podcast in the background and I said, all right, let's blow this baby up. And that was my vehicle for getting my voice out there for me meeting the right people for networking, because Ben had said earlier networking, for me building this beautiful orbit of people who really were interested in my ideas and the things I wanted to put out there and opportunities unfolded. My flute studio, I was able to get students, coaching clients. I was able to build three digital courses. I was able to present at, oh, I can't even count how many online summits, probably like easy 10, 20 within the last two to four years. I mean, I was able to design this beautiful flute microfiber cloth with this company called BG France. I was able to, you know, be and partner up with 30 plus music companies through sponsorships. And I'm saying this with so much humility and graciousness towards these people. I don't boast about it, but since we're highlighting what could be possible for you, I think Ben, Jamie, and I need to kind of like throw it out there and say, look at what it's doing for me. It can do the same for you. Yeah. So you mentioned in that answer, a phrase that I liked, which was blow it up. I think (laughs) uh, you said, Um, so I assume we might have some listeners now who maybe are persuaded, at least philosophically, that they want to try a podcast, but are confused about the blow it up aspect. Um, So I think maybe now would be a time if we could talk a little bit about, let's say someone has decided, okay, yes, I want to start a podcast. Then what? (laughs) (laughs) That is always the answer. That is always the question. Okay, then what? So I'm going to take on the tech side of it. And I'm going to let the two of you talk about the the music and, you know, and the marketing and all of that, because tech's my wheelhouse. Tech is absolutely my wheelhouse. Honestly, you need a good external microphone. Mm-hmm. You need a set of headphones or something so that you don't have any back back noise, anything coming in that ruins the quality of your recording. And then you need a t- place to record. 
and we're using Zoom right now to record. I record most of my episodes that are with guests using Zencaster, which is a web-based app, completely free. I pay, oh, I actually, it, there is a paid version. I use the free version. And my solo episodes, I report, record directly into my software editing tool that I use on my computer. And so that's the stuff to create it. And then you have to edit it if you want to edit it. You can hire that out, you know, Heidi, you can talk about that a little bit if you'd like a little plug there for Eric, but, um, or you can just do it yourself. There are lots of um, not very expensive tools that you can use to edit things out, but don't over edit. Don't edit out every single um. That's not worth it. It's not worth anybody's time to do that. And then the only other thing that you absolutely need is a podcast hosting platform. And that creates what's called an RSS feed. And RSS stands for really simple syndication, which basically is a flat file. It's just a very simple file that gets pushed out to Apple and Google and Spotify and all these other uh, places where people can listen to podcasts. It's just one file. Once you've got that feed, you just submit your feed to the different players and there you have it. And I think Ben, you mentioned that you followed a tutorial <laughs> when you were submitting yes. your feed. It's funny because it was a tutorial written out by a podcasting host that I don't use. Buzzsprout has a article. If you just Google Buzzsprout, how to start a podcast, there is a gigantic step-by-step -step guide that goes through everything extremely systematically. And honestly, my process for starting was just going through that. Even though I use Squarespace instead of Buzzsprout, I really liked that one article because they lay it down very simply. Um, they don't talk about it specifically in the context of music teaching like our conversation now is, but that was a very, very uh, helpful article. Um, anything else on the tech front? Really? Artwork? You're going to create artwork mm -hmm. created in Canva? Don't stress it. I mean, I'm just giving you the facts. Yeah. That's also something you could hire out just to put it out there because I think some people might be intimidated by that. I mean, I definitely hire that part out. <laughs> yeah, but if you want to just get this thing going, get it going. Everything is changeable. You know, you could change your artwork. You could change mm -hmm. that at any time. You can change change your podcast host. I changed my podcast host about a year ago and it was a pretty easy process. It was really not that hard. I took the RSS feed from one host uploaded it to the other host and canceled the other one. You know, it was, it was that easy. So I think that, you know, from the tech perspective, don't let that stop you from the getting it out there and making sure that you have listeners. That's a whole other game. And I think that that would be something worth uh, making sure that uh, Ben and Heidi talk about, because I think you both have had really great success with that, um, with your, you know, instrument specific podcast. So Heidi, why don't you take that one? Sure. And I loved how Jamie just laid the tech side out so beautifully. Go back hit pause now, rewind and take out notes because she literally laid it out for you. And then Ben also mentioning the Buzzsprout resource. Yes, I totally love their blogs. Very clear, organized. So yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> so talk about blowing it up, baby. Yeah, you have to market it. You have to let people know that, hey, your show is out there. It exists because, you know, what's the saying? Once you build it, they will come. That's not true. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> you have to get a little uncomfortable saying, hey, I'm the host. I'm the creator of this show. We are producing really valuable content for our community. Come check it out. And I think a lot of times musicians, and I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but from what I have seen and the experiences I have gathered over the years is musicians tend to not like to let people know of their projects. And I don't know if that's a musician thing or a human thing. I don't think we like to put a spotlight on ourselves to say, hey, come check it out, you know? And so you're going to have to kind of get rid of maybe some of those negative thoughts because perhaps we don't do that because we're like, oh, I don't want to be annoying or that's outside of my you know comfort zone. You're not going to be annoying. People actually want to know what you're doing and what you have your hands on because you're only bettering not just, you know, your small little community, but the community as a whole. So that's my first thing that I want to put out there is like, let people know that's what (laughs) marketing is, right? And that's how you gain um, a listener base. And there's so many different ways you can let people know about your show. You can do it through social media. You can do crossovers. So by me coming onto Ben's show and coming onto Jamie's show and vice versa, we are now tapping into their audiences. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what if there's a flutist who listens to Ben's show because she or he is a pianist and they double on flute? Well, maybe now they'll right. be a flute 360 listener. And then, mm-hmm. of course, vice versa, ping ponging. You guys can't see I'm doing this like ping pong <laughs> around the three Zoom videos, but you can do crossovers with other podcasting hosts. You can show up to online summits, right? because I've done that for Jamie. And actually Jamie came in to be a presenter at one of my online summits, the ultimate music business summit. And that's how she and I got to know each other was through that thing. And you can get so creative. So, so creative. I do a lot of PR work too, where if I know I have an amazing guest, I'm going to use Sarah Whitney as an example. She's a violinist. She her conversation was heard through Flute 360, I believe, in December of last year. And we talked about music business. She's, she's actually a graduate of the Cleveland Institute of Music, if my memory serves me correctly. Well, easy email. You email Cleveland Institute of Music, say, hey, Sarah Whitney is an alum of your school. She's going to be a guest on Flute 360. Do you want to promote her episode? Boom. And then now you're going in and you are tapping into their audience. So the possibilities of marketing are endless. You can be so creative in this space and you don't have to have a marketing degree. You can take marketing classes and I highly recommend that, but you learn as you go. And I think that's a key nugget that I want to highlight with Jamie's answer too. You learn as you go. None of us, none of us, even probably Jamie, well, probably more so Jamie (laughs) because she's more on the tech side of things. We didn't have all the answers up front when we started the podcast. We didn't have all the answers of, is it going to be episode-based, season-based? What is our graphic going to look like on the album art? How are the show notes going to look? How the heck do I navigate a media hosting site? You learn as you go. And so that's 
something that I want to throw out there in regards to encouragement for those who are considering a podcast. Yeah. I would like to stay on this marketing point a little totally. bit because I think this is so important and this is how you reach audiences. There's two things I kind of want to talk about here, both of which could trigger gigantic long conversations, but we'll try to keep it curt. First is you mentioned social media advertising, and this is something where I've learned over the course of my time promoting podcasts. There are definitely better and worse ways of doing that. Like not all ways of social media marketing are created equal. And I'd definitely be interested in hearing from either of you if you found specific social media sharing strategies to be better than others. But if I could say just what I've found, um, I listen a lot to, um, I feel embarrassed that I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Kevin Chemidlin, C-H-E-M-I-D-L-I-N. He's someone you can all look up. He uh, does a lot of coaching about building podcasts. And his big thing about social media is steering people away from just posting their episode or whatever on some group and then saying, here's my episode, come check it out. (laughs) And just sort of that direct self-promotional route. And what he suggests doing, which I've tried to do a little bit and has been very helpful is 15 minutes a day of what he calls social media engagement, which is you go to the areas where you think your listeners will be and you engage with what they're saying. And then the idea is if you do that regularly enough, people will sort of realize, oh, this person seems interesting. I wonder what they're all about. And then they'll find your podcast that way. Or maybe you talk about your podcast in a, if you're responding in a thread where an episode you did relates to that, but it should be engaging with other people as opposed to just posting your episode and saying, come get it. <laughs> that, in my experience, has been a lot less successful on social media. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And, you know, it's interesting because Facebook rolled out podcasts on pages, like where you could your podcast could automatically go out onto your Facebook page through your RSS feed. They have pulled that back. They discontinued it because they realized that's not the way that people are going to listen to podcasts. If people are already looking at your Facebook page, the likelihood of them not knowing that you have a podcast is much lower then the people that we actually want to become our new listeners, mm-hmm. our new right. listeners are people who we engage with on Instagram. They're people mm-hmm. we engage with in Facebook groups. They're people that we engage with through other people's communities. Those are our future listeners. And I think that what you said about the whole engagement thing is 100% correct. It doesn't matter if you're promoting a podcast, if you're promoting a workshop, a webinar, a course, a membership site, it doesn't matter what it is that you're promoting. You You want to lead with value first. And because you have a podcast, you have a back catalog of X number of episodes that you can pinpoint. And you can say someone was talking about this particular topic. You can go back into your own podcast catalog and say, I had this conversation with Heidi and it was on this topic. I bet it would be beneficial. So you could Mm -hmm. actually create your own back catalog, like looking back at your back catalog to contribute to the current conversations. Mm -hmm. So my little tidbit on that is to keep a very short list of what your podcast topics were like, and who your guests were and stuff like that, that you can go back to when you're doing that engagement. Because I will tell you when I, I think I'm, this is episode 220 something, or maybe 230 something of, of the expand online podcast, being able to remember what episode it was that I spoke about a certain thing on 
it's a grueling task. So having that spreadsheet makes it so much easier for me to be able to go back and point people to something that's going to be relevant to them from within that engagement conversation. I love it. Yes. And I'm so glad, Ben, that you brought us back to that keyword engagement. You can post all day long and saying, hey, I have episode 200 out, 201 out. It's going to fall on deaf ears if you are not social on social. You have got to engage, start start up conversations. You just have to. That's the whole point of social media. So yeah, building those relationships is so key. And then going back to what you just said, Jamie, about like the backlog, I do that all the time. And you could see just now, I even said, you know, oh, Sarah Whitney and I talked about music business. You know, we weren't talking about music business per se, but I was using it as an example for PR work and how to get your content out there. It's so crucial. And even when you're having a conversation with a guest in the moment and they bring up, like for me, because my world is flute, when they bring up another flutist's name and they say, oh yeah, Robert Dick really influenced me highly when it came to extended technique for the flute. Like, oh, which by the way, Robert Dick is episodes 89 through 93. (laughs) And I really think those are his numbers because I have to spew out guests' names and their episodes all the time because I want to, because I want to do this Mm -hmm. kind of crossover and saying, hey, if you really like today's you know, information and you want more information on X, Y, Z, boom. And rattling off those episode numbers is starting to become a part of my (laughs) daily, weekly routine. (laughs) But yeah, no, I just love everything that you guys are saying. Another topic related to marketing that might seem like a distinct topic, but as I've learned, and I'm sure as Heidi has probably learned, are more integrated than you might think is monetization and marketing. Because what I've learned and also that Kevin Chemidlin guy I was mentioning is really key on is that the point of monetizing the podcast is not only just to, of course, make money, but monetizing it in a way allows for more marketing opportunities when you have some kind of a budget to work with. I'd be interested in hearing Heidi's perspective on this because I know you run this group called The Podcasting Musician and you give coachings on other podcast hosts about if they want to work towards marketization and sponsorship. So I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on what you feel the relationship is between monetization and marketing. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. When I receive a corporate sponsorship, from a particular month, I use a certain percentage of that check towards future marketing Mm -hmm. campaigns. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's just, it keeps going. I don't put the whole thing in my pocketbook because now there's more opportunities for me to tap into a new audience. Mm -hmm. And if I want to grow Flute 360 or the pivoting musician, then I need to keep putting money back into those podcasts. Mm -hmm. So case in point, I'm doing a current partnership with Austin Panzer through his health-based business and also song flute head joints. And from those two checks, I divvied up where I need to, you know, allocate the money for here, there, wherever. A good 25, if not 40% of those checks went into future flute festivals. So I did a flute festival in May, just recently at the Texas Flute Society, and I put a certain percentage of those checks actually into an ad for the National Flute Association and their conference that's going down in August. So it's this, it's putting money back in for sure. 
So, so good. Yes, absolutely. Uh, sorry, I stepped on you, Ben. Go ahead yeah. and talk. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the other thing I would say that I've noticed is when people have some kind of a financial, I don't want to say stake, but if somebody has given you money for whatever reason, whether it's a company or an individual who runs an ad or whatever, now they're also tied to your success. And so they are more likely to market your episode and they'll have a fan base and they have some skin in the game because they gave some money to for your podcast. So it opens up advertising opportunities. And as you mentioned, um, which I think is so important is there's a cycle to it. If you get money and then you allocate some of that money towards marketing, then it keeps building and building. And so that's why um, I do feel that marketing, that fundraising is important, as I mentioned, not just for your own bank account, but to help grow the podcast. Yeah. Monetization of a podcast doesn't mean making money by taking listeners to a specific product that you offer or that you sell. You can do monetization through exposure. I mean, like when somebody wants exposure to your audience, that is a perfectly valid way to monetize your podcast. If you never sold a thing to your audience, but you just made your audience available to these other companies that you believe in, you are both winning. I mean, that could be a very successful monetization strategy. And then, you know, if you said, you know what, I want my podcast listeners to do this with me. I want them to join my membership site. I want them to take my course. I want them to do whatever it is. I think that the key is, is understanding what you are monetizing and how you are monetizing it. Is your podcast a vehicle to your business or is your podcast a business that is a vehicle for other businesses? I mean, and that's kind of like where, you know, Heidi, you do a lot with corporate sponsorship and things like that. And I think it's fascinating and amazing. And I think that that's a great way once you've done the good marketing and you get, get the word out there that your podcast is a quality podcast, then you are able to, to bring on those corporate sponsors and corporate can be used fairly loosely. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be Gibson guitar. Nope, it does not. And I'm so glad you brought up that point because, well, even Gibson guitar, there are people there on the marketing team who probably want to work with somebody like you, even though it's a huge name. And I know exactly what you mean, Jamie. Oh, Gibson guitar. And that's such a huge name. Who am I? I'm such a, I'm just a small flute teacher in Forney, Texas, right? Who am I to reach out to Gibson guitar? Come to find out, I mean, the numbers need to be there. The engagement needs to be there. There needs to be a win-win with both brands, right? But don't underestimate your value to Gibson. There are a lot of big name corporations who want to work with, I'm doing air quotes, with the average podcast host. They want to work with people within the community who are making a difference, but you are right, Jamie. I'm not playing devil's advocate here. You are right. It doesn't have to be the big Gibsons, but don't underestimate yourself because you could really partner up with a Gibson company and it could completely blow your mind. I mean, literally, and I said, flute teacher of Forney, Texas, that's where I live, a little town outside of Dallas in Forney, Texas. And I worked with some of the big name flute companies in the industry, and I never, ever, ever thought it was possible for me in my career. 
William S. Haynes flutes. They are huge out in Boston. Powell flutes, Straubinger flutes, huge names. And if I, for, I mean, I'm pretty sure <laughs> younger Heidi, you know, approaching these companies thought, who am I? And I probably let imposter syndrome get in the way a little too much. But I, at some point had to like hush that voice and say, you know what? I have something valuable to bring to the table. And let's see if there is a win-win. Let's see if there's a possibility for partnership. And sometimes you will get the no. And that's unfortunate. That's okay. But sometimes those no's lead to yeses later. I've received no's from huge companies years back, you know, and then fast forward, they come to me and say, you know what? It wasn't right at that time, but can we partner now? Probably a good 50% of my corporate sponsorships have come from scenarios just like that. Isn't that so cool? So even if you're afraid of a no, just tell yourself like, I, I don't see it as a no. I see it as a maybe, or there's room to open up that door, you know, in a future season. If I could ask a question about that. I know you talk a lot about the strategies for exactly how to secure a corporate sponsorship and how to present yourself and all of that sort of stuff in your group meetings that you host and your private sessions. And there's a whole art to it. But if I could ask a basic question, is the way that you initiate these when you were saying a- approaching a company through a cold email? Well, sometimes it can be cold, but those okay. are a lot harder to convert (laughs) because you're knocking on someone's door and just saying, Hey, I'm meeting you for the first time. Write me a check. I mean, it could be done, but it's a lot harder. So for me, whether it's bringing in a new student into my studio or bringing in a new partnership through corporate sponsorships, it's all about building relationships. You need to initiate it, cultivate it and scale it. So if that foundation is not there, if they don't trust you, if they don't Mm. trust the product or trust the tier that you're offering them, if they don't know you, it's a lot harder to write a thousand dollar check to a stranger than it is to somebody who you've communicated with and gotten to know over time. And it doesn't have to be years. You can cultivate, you know, a relationship over a couple months and then say, Hey, you know what? I have this opportunity. I would love for you to partner with me and come on in with this tier. I know I can benefit you because my listeners fit this demographic area. And I know you are targeting those people, you know, in a very, in a very genuine way, right? Like these are your ideal clients and I have your ideal clients listening to my podcast, right? And so let's find that win-win, what tier would work well for you? So you can do cold, but I completely advocate for um, building those relationships yeah. first. It's like what we were saying about marketing earlier, that engaging on social media is better yeah. than just out of the blue you know, yeah. promoting something just by itself. So earlier in that answer, you were talking about making sure that the company trusts your product and you need to make sure you have a good product out there. So maybe this could be a good time for us to turn to how to, you know, for lack of a better term, make your podcast good. (laughs) And so let's say someone has figured out a marketing strategy and they have the budget or whatever, they've figured out the technology. Of course, none of that really matters if the actual podcast itself is not strong. So I'd be interested in hearing from you too, how you make sure that you're creating content that 
people actually want to listen to and that people find helpful. And if maybe there's any mistakes you made in earlier episodes or any advice for people who think to themselves, oh, no one wants to hear what I have to say. If I create a podcast, it's going to be boring or it's going to be not helpful. You can start, Jamie. Okay, cool. So I think it goes back to that engagement. Mm -hmm. Understand who you're marketing to, understand what they need, understand what they want, understand what they're scared to ask. That is one of my favorite things. Like if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're talking about these things and I'm like, there's something deeper, really kind of figuring out what that deeper thing is and then putting it out on the podcast makes it so that they don't feel like you're calling them out. But you give an example of that? Yeah. You know, I had somebody I was talking to about, uh, just trying to remember about, oh, about email marketing. Okay. Like, I mean, that's something that I talk about all the time, uh, but about email marketing I was like, okay, great. I'm going to grow a list. And then what? They don't want to ask, okay, then what do I send to this email list? Like that is such a common question that people are like, well, I should know what to send to these people. Like they're my, you know, perfect. But people don't always know what it is that they should be sending in those weekly emails or in those emails to get engagement and stuff. So I've gone ahead and I've created podcast episodes or some other form of, you know, communication. I might have actually just sent it out in an email, like an email about emails and things like that. But just like going a little bit deeper. Okay. So we have a strategy, like they know what they're doing, but then they don't know what step two or step three might be. And they're scared to ask because they're at that earlier stage. And I think with both of your podcasts and with anybody who's listening, who's thinking about starting an instrument specific or a modality specific podcast, think about where you've stumbled. Think about where you got stuck. Think about what it took to pull up the bootstraps and try again. What did it look like when you went and found a new teacher? What did it look like when you fired a student? What did it look like when you realized that your your instrument was out of tune? Like, think about all those things that are really like that helped shape you to who you are right now. That is what goes on your podcast. And it could be solo episodes. It could be interview episodes. It could be a hybrid of both of them. There's no rules on that, but just really think about what it is that made you, you. Hmm. What would you say, Heidi? Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, Jamie. That was amazing. And yes, Think about your struggles, think about your journey and your pain points, and then to bounce off of that idea, maybe do some deep dives with your current podcast listeners, ask them, what are they going through right now? Because, you know, we've talked about this through Jamie's summit and that conversation, but if my listeners are on path A and they're really struggling with points A, B, and C on that path, but I'm over here on path B and I'm talking about, you know, DEF, I lost my, where I was in the alphabet there. But if I'm thinking about, and I'm focusing on this target over here, but they're over there, then I'm, I'm missing the point and that I'm not delivering value to them that they need within that season. Now that can change, you know, seasons change all the time. So I try to do a deep dive with maybe three to five of my podcast listeners once a quarter. So every three months, I will say, all right, Jane, Joe, Sam, (laughs) will you like to do a 30 minute deep dive with me? And in exchange, my, um, 
my gift to them is, oh, you get a Flute 360 cloth or you get a free 30-minute coaching call with me. I want to return the favor. And I'm asking them, what are your pain points? What are your struggles? And then something, you know, within whatever topic I'm thinking, like within teaching in your flute studio, what are you struggling with right now? And we go deep. Like I need to know where those pain points are. I want to know their hopes, dreams, and aspirations. So I can give them like what Jamie said, I can give them value to help them get from point A to point B. And I will wash, rinse, and repeat for the next quarter and see where they are. So that way I can continue to give them that value. And Ben, what about you? What about you? I feel like Heidi and I have been talking a lot. (laughs) Well, for me, I definitely relate to what you were talking about as far as think about what works for you. What I think just differentiates me from many other people who host podcasts uh, is that when I at least first started, and I think even still to an extent today, I really wasn't a piano teaching specialist. And I think I was in some ways the same as my listeners and that I didn't come into this with any kind of special credentials as a piano teacher. I don't have a degree in piano performance. Um, although I've been doing a little speaking at conferences more recently, I definitely didn't do that at least when I started out. i I mean, we could go down the list of things I have not done. Um, I really think I'm just a regular piano teacher. And so I think for me, when I interview people on the podcast, I think about what I want to know from them as just a normal, not a generic teacher, but as a, a teacher who's probably struggling with the same things that many of my audience members are. And so I think the episodes I've done that work the best are the ones where I try to be very humble and really just ask them what is beneficial to me and talk about struggles I have. And I try to be relatable and not put any distance between myself and my audience. And I think that's one thing that's exciting about the podcast space is there's room for both. There's room for podcasts by people who are absolute connoisseurs of music teaching and know know, every single education theorist and have published in every magazine and are imparting their wisdom. But then there's also room for people like me who are more, you know, just ordinary everyday piano teachers who want to learn more and take anyone who wants to along for the ride. So I think it's exciting that the podcast space has room for both. Oh, that is so, so good. And I'm thinking to myself, it's like I said this, you know, probably 20, 30 minutes ago when we were earlier on in the conversation is that I'm not a music educator. I am not a music right. player. That I'm not, you know, to the same yet yeah. there's still space for me mm-hmm. to lend my voice into this space. So mm-hmm. even if you are sitting here and you are a diehard, all keyed up listener and you love the podcast, <laughs> but you don't feel like you have enough to say about piano, maybe you have something to say about something else. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you can't incorporate piano into something else, into a podcast that is on Mm -hmm. a different topic. I did. There's nothing that is outside of the realm of possibility with Mm -hmm. podcasting. And I want to respect the audience's time. So do you think we should wrap this up? Because I know that the three of us can sit here and talk for days. (laughs) Oh, completely. Yeah. We covered a lot too with, you know, just encouraging everybody that your voice matters. We want to see you shine and we want to see you be given the same opportunities that Ben, Jamie, and I have been given. Maybe the first baby steps into how to start off your podcast, monetization, marketing. We covered a lot of grounds. And you're right, Jamie, we could 
sit here and talk forever. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think I'm sure you two would agree with me that all three of us are very accessible. So if anyone listening would like any kind of extra guidance, I don't think it's too hard to figure out how to contact all of us three. And we'd be happy to help, I assume, people who are just starting out and want to learn more. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So where can they locate you, Ben? For me, the best way to contact me is through the contact page at my website, www.bencapolo.com. What about you two? Yeah. So my podcast is the Expand Online Podcast. If you go to expandonlinepodcast.com, you will get to my website, all of that good stuff. I've got a chat widget on there. Instagram is probably my favorite place to connect with people. And that's at Jamie Slutsky. And I will spell that for you just to make sure, even though I know it'll be in the show notes, it's J-A-I-M-E-S-L-U-T-Z-K-Y. And Heidi? Yeah. And for me, you can go and follow me through Instagram or Facebook. My handle is the same at Heidi K. Begay. My website is also HeidiKBegay.com. And I will also spell it out because I have learned that a lot of people don't know how to spell Heidi. So 